The Bucs quest to repeat as champions has come to an end. The NFL releases its schedule and the Brewers back into their winning ways take a series down in the state of Florida. All that and more coming up on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thanks for logging in and joining us for this episode, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Thank you again for being with us. Hit that like, subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. A lot to get to on what is a Monday as we're putting this episode Together, obviously, we're going to be talking about the Bucks. The NBA draft is coming up. We've got some storylines within the state of Wisconsin and here in the 414 that we're keeping a close eye on. We'll talk about the NFL schedule, specifically with regards to the Green Bay Packers, a little bit later. There's a section of the schedule with regards to the Green Bay Packers that I think is very interesting, almost a bit of a disadvantage. Uh, for the pack going into this season. So we'll get into that as well as the Brewers getting that series win over Miami and now coming home. They'll have a six-game homestand. So we'll get into all of that as we progress through today's episode. But of course, we have to start with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks on their quest to win back-to-back championships came to a unfortunate end Sunday in Boston, losing to the Celtics 109-81. to It was a heavy-hearted weekend uh, after losing Game 6, and it just seemed that all of the stars were aligned as far as Game 6 went, having it at home at Pfizer Forum, always knowing that, you know, it's Bucks and Six after what took place last year. It just felt like it was right. It was there for the taking. And then Boston on the road coming in, stealing that victory from the Bucks, And then obviously the tragedy that took place in downtown Milwaukee following the game, I think had a bit of a, a factor going into Sunday. I, I just, I, I just think that the minds and hearts of the Milwaukee Bucks were on that situation as well as the playoff situation going in 
to Game 7. And Game 7 reminded me so much of the 1980s when Don Nelson and Sidney Moncrief and now the late, great Bob Lanier, RIP to Bob Lanier, who passed away last week, just an epic individual uh, who will be greatly missed not only here in the city but throughout the NBA. But that team and Marcus Johnson and, and all of those 80s Bucks always seemingly not able to get past the Boston Celtics in those great playoff runs, again, under head coach Don Nelson. It felt like that. It felt like that Sunday afternoon when you would sit in front of the TV and CBS at the time would be broadcasting the games. And once again, the Bucks unable to, at the Boston Garden, losing 109-81. to And you had to feel for Giannis. Giannis, who was shouldering the load for this team, did everything he could to try and help propel the rest of his teammates to victory, but he was unable to do it. Giannis, however, becomes the first player in NBA history to put up 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in a single series. So why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because it shows the type of effort that Giannis was putting forth in trying to get this team to the next round to take on the Miami Heat in an opportunity, hopefully, to repeat as NBA champions. It was not meant to be. What was obvious yesterday, what was blatantly obvious yesterday, was the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks were lacking a perimeter shooter. We're lacking a perimeter shooter. Now, we can talk about defensively what they didn't do with regards to Boston and what they were doing as far as three-point shooting went. But the Bucks simply did not have an answer. For Boston, Grant Williams. Grant Williams. Grant Williams now, to me, has become Sam Cassell. And if you don't remember when Sam Cassell was playing, Sam Cassell was one of those guys, when he was with the Bucks, when he was parted at Big Three, in the 90s, and the Bucks made that run 90s, early 2000s, you love Sam Cassell. When Sam Cassell was on another team, he drove you absolutely nuts. He was that player who kind of creeped underneath the skin of your team. He creeped underneath the skin of the fan base. He really got things going. That, to me, who is what Grant Williams has become. Grant Williams now, yesterday, with 27 points, Seven from beyond the arc. He hit seven three-pointers yesterday. That is not somebody I don't think anybody expected to have that kind of a game. Jason Tatum had another strong performance. He had 23. And the Boston Celtics, they set a record yesterday by hitting 22 three-pointers. The Bucks again, no answer from beyond the arc. Milwaukee went four for 33. They shot 12% from beyond the arc yesterday. 12%. It's the second worst three-point percentage in a playoff game ever when you look at a team shooting a minimum of 30 three-pointers. They shot 12%. That right there was the difference. And when you look down the stat sheet and you see Giannis with 25 and you see Drew Holiday with 21, and you see Drew Holiday with 40 minutes, and you see Giannis playing 43 minutes. 
And then you look at some of the other players and some of those that you wanted to see contribute, especially from three-point range, who could not and did not answer the bell. Wesley Matthews, 21 minutes, three points. Grayson Allen, 21 minutes, one point. Pat Connaughton, 32 minutes, two points. George Hill, 11 minutes, never got the goose egg off the score sheet. There was just nothing about what the Milwaukee Bucks had going for them in the Boston Garden that said it was a team that was ready to take the next step. How much they missed Chris Middleton, I think, got overshadowed a little bit in that Chicago series. Because the Bucks were able to take care of the Bulls. And the Bulls, they're a team that's ascending, but they're not there yet. They're, they're nowhere close to being there yet. And because the Bucks kind of rolled through Chicago, you heard the narrative of uh, the Bucks. See, the Bucks can do it without Chris Middleton. Why did we give Chris Middleton a max contract? Chris Middleton isn't that factor, that key that the Bucks need to make it to the next level. Well, you saw it, especially in game six and game seven, because Grayson Allen, who had a lot of success against the Bulls, was MIA down the stretch against Boston. The matchup wasn't right. They knew how to take Grayson Allen out of his element, and in doing so, what you got was 21 minutes and one point. Pat Connaughton, who has played exceptionally well for stretches, unfortunately, down the back half of this series, had one of those stretches where he couldn't hit water falling out of a boat. 32 minutes, two points. Wesley Matthews could not do it. I I, I keep going. I keep being repetitive but you get the idea. And so if there's anything that we see going into next season is that there has to be another shooter on this Milwaukee Bucks team. There has to be something other than Chris Middleton. I don't need Giannis beyond the arc. Giannis has done a magnificent job of A, developing a three-point shot, which he hit at times during this run against Boston. But Giannis's mid-range game has gotten so much better. That's where we need Giannis. We need Giannis in the paint, that mid-range game. Hello, 25 points. Two-time MVP. That's exactly where he excels. Obviously, Drew Holiday can run the point. Drew will hit shots at times. He'll get he'll get on a roll. But Drew off the dribble penetration is where he's most effective. And obviously, when Chris is hot, look out. He's one of the best shooters there is. But there needs to be that other guy that can come in when either they aren't hitting their shots or B, they just need to come off the floor to get a rest. Case in point yesterday, Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard. Who? Exactly. Who? Peyton Pritchard, 14 points. He he was phenomenal from beyond the arc yesterday as someone who gave the Boston Celtics 17 minutes off the bench and could hit the jumper. The Bucs, again, no answer. So the Bucs, unfortunately, will not have the opportunity to repeat as NBA champions. And for the first time 
since losing a couple of years ago to Miami in the bubble. This is their first playoff series loss since then. They'll have some time now to rest, and the organization will have some time now to think about what the reconfiguration of this ball club will be going into next year. You've got people whose contracts are up. So a Pat Connaughton, a Bobby Portis, a George Hill. You've got players that this city and this team have bonded with that's up as far as the business side of the team goes. And so we'll have to see which way the Bucks want to move forward. Unfortunately, again, losing to Boston in that game seven yesterday. There were a bunch of other matchups over the course of this weekend. None more so glaring than yesterday. I, can we thank Phoenix? I, I need to thank the Phoenix Suns who lost yesterday to the Dallas Mavericks 123-90. to Phoenix, who had a 2-0 lead in that series, losing Game 7 at home yesterday. Dallas, in that series, the only home, uh, or excuse me, the only road victory that took place was Dallas getting it on the road yesterday in Phoenix, and again, winning by 33. Phoenix was never in that game. Never once did Phoenix had the lead, or have the lead, use your use your English language correctly there, they not once had the lead at any point in that game. At a couple of instances throughout the third quarter, we're even down by 40, if not 40-plus. So, Phoenix, thank you. You lost to us last year. You gave us an NBA championship, something we hadn't had in 50 years. And watching you play last night just kind of took the edge off of what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks. There were two things to me. Well, I'll say it this way. There were two games to me that showed one thing about the Bucks. The Bucks, again, no answer from the perimeter, but there was no lack of effort. That team played hard while they were on the floor. Watching Phoenix and watching Philadelphia the other day, especially the James Harden circus that is in Philadelphia, you saw players that essentially kind of packed it in. And you don't get that from the Milwaukee Bucks. And so if there's going to be anything that comes from that Game 7 loss to Boston yesterday is that we have a team here in our city that plays their heart out every single time they're on the floor. And yes, sometimes they're ineffective. But it's not for a lack of effort. What I saw with Phoenix yesterday and what I saw specifically with James Harden the other day in that matchup as the Sixers were taking on Miami trying to advance to the conference finals just at least makes me proud of the group of men that are playing basketball here in the 414. All right, let's get to a quick break. On the other side of the break, the NBA draft comes up tomorrow. That's Tuesday of this week. And we've got a couple of spotlights here in the city slash state that we're keeping an eye on with regards to the draft on Tuesday. And we'll talk about it in just a second.
let's get into the NBA draft, which will take place on Tuesday of this week as the NBA now slides into the conference finals to see who will represent each side of the country as far as the NBA finals are concerned. And we've got a couple of names here within the city and state of Wisconsin that we are obviously keeping an eye on to see where they might land. I'm taking my info right now. This is coming off of CBS Sports in their projections with regards to the NBA draft. Obviously, one of the players we're keeping an eye on is Johnny Davis, the sophomore out of Wisconsin who had a miraculous season, just a breakout season for the Badgers this year. Right now, CBS Sports thinks that Johnny Davis could go at number 12 to the OKC Thunder, so we're watching that, as well as Justin Lewis, the freshman from Marquette, who averaged 16.8 this season. CBS feels he could go at number 21 to the Denver Nuggets. And then, obviously, I don't know why I keep saying obviously. I don't know if it's obvious or not, but one of the other players we're keeping an eye on is Patrick Baldwin Jr. So PBJ, who played this year at UWM, was one of those candidates in the preseason that many thought could be a lottery pick, struggled in his freshman campaign with the Panthers with an ankle injury. Um, Patrick Baldwin, his dad, who was his coach, joined me on the College Sports Show on 1250 AM, The Fan, this season as part of our show on Thursday nights talking about college athletics and coach kind of lent to the fact that because UWM didn't position their strength and conditioning coach with the team until mid to late September, he felt it put Patrick Baldwin Jr. back a little bit as far as his rehabilitation went and never really got an opportunity to get on track. So whether or not Patrick Baldwin Jr. gets drafted tonight, obviously we'll have an indication as to whether or not he returns back to the college game. Now, if I'm not mistaken, PBJ has already entered the transfer portal. And if an NBA team does take a shot at PBJ and he falls out of the first round, I think whoever snags him will have an unbelievable steal with regards to the draft. Patrick Baldwin Jr. has all of the tools and the makings and the mindset. He's got he's the complete package as far as somebody who could have success in the NBA. The big question mark is the ankle, the foot. If the ankle and foot clear all of the medical protocol, he is probably the one player that is not being mentioned with regards to the upcoming draft as high as he should be. Now, granted, you've got the Keegan Murrays of the world, Jabari Smiths of the world, Jaden Ivey. You've got a lot of great players coming out. And so if you're not taking PBJ high on the list, I don't know if he would have fallen into that top five, six, seven ranking had he had a breakout season with UWM to begin with. But if he falls to the second round and if PBJ decides not to return 
to college because of the fact, you know, once you get to the second round, those contracts are not guaranteed like they are in round one and tries to rebuild his status, so to speak, for next year. If somebody does take him again and he decides to play, I, I think you've got one of the great steals of of this upcoming draft. So we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, there's a ton of stories always with these players coming out of college. You've got somebody like Ochai Abaji who uh, will claim right here, being born here in Milwaukee before uh, then playing with Kansas with his family moving into that area. But as a senior, 6'5", 215, leading the Kansas Jayhawks right now, CBS believes he could go to the Sacramento Kings. You've got a completely polished player right there. So there's a number of connections with the state of Wisconsin and the city of Milwaukee to be interested in in the upcoming draft here on Tuesday evening. Let's take another break on the other side of this one. Let's get into the NFL. The NFL releasing its schedule last week Thursday has only the NFL can do with a two-hour extravaganza on both the NFL Network and ESPN. And so already we've got some of those headline games that people are anticipating. And we'll take a look specifically at the Green Bay Packers schedule because I think, as I noted in the intro, there's a bit of a challenge midway through the season for the Green Bay Packers. We'll explain it right after this. talk about the NFL schedule, which was released last Thursday. And as we've talked about before, one thing the NFL does from their PR machine is unexplicably brilliant with the way they keep the NFL relevant all 12 months out of the year, especially during the offseason. And so the reveal of the schedule becomes a huge event and keeps them in the forefront during the month of May before we start getting to mini camps and then training camps. And you see how that flows with regards to the National Football League. But in revealing the schedule already, we've got a ton, a ton of headlines and storylines moving into next season. You get Brian Flores as an assistant coach now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They'll be playing the Miami Dolphins, and we know Brian Flores with the lawsuit um, with Miami and his tenure as the head coach there. That will be a headline for that week. We get games like we do the very first week in which the Denver Broncos will go to Seattle. Russell Wilson going back to play his former team. That will be an enormous storyline we get here in the 414, we get the Packers in Tampa Bay in week three. Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks going at it, not knowing whether or not either will be with their current teams next year. Don't know if these teams are playoff bound, when they will match up at any point moving forward. So that will be a huge storyline. So again, a number of headline storylines, regardless of who your team is, moving forward into 
the 2022 season. So when we look at the Packers schedule, and you know right now every fan looks at their favorite team's schedule and everybody walks away saying, I think we're, we'll probably be 12 and five, 12 and five this year. You know, there'll be a couple of games that we should have won that we don't, but that's the optimism every single fan has. And I don't care if you're a Jets fan, a Packer fan, a Viking fan, it makes no difference. Everybody, I think, walks away thinking they're going to be 12 and five. You've got Detroit Lion fans who are looking at their schedule, looking at how the Lions played, especially towards the end of last year and the improvements that they made on the field and with their draft, thinking we might have a 12 and five team going into this season. So when we look at the Packers schedule, They'll open once again on the road. Fifth time in seven years, the Packers will open the season on the road. They'll take on the Minnesota Vikings. Then they're back home against the Bears, back on the road against what we were talking about just a second ago with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then at home with New England. Then they take a plane ride across the proverbial pond to take on the Giants in London. It'll be the first time the Packers get one of those games over in Europe so they'll be taking on the Giants October 9th in London then it's back home to play the Jets at Washington at Buffalo at Detroit Dallas at home Tennessee at home back on the road against Philadelphia and then the following week on the road against Chicago then finally they get their bye so if they can maneuver that stretch and stay relatively healthy. You always hear year after year how important that buy is in getting the players healthy and a bit rejuvenated. If they can survive, their buy does not come until week 14, which then gives them what I'll call the home stretch in the schedule in which they'll play the Rams at home. Then they go to Miami on Christmas Day, which is going to be a tough one. You know, like we were saying in an earlier podcast with the 76ers having to play the Miami Heat, South Beach is a bit undefeated. And so South Beach being undefeated and playing on Christmas Day, that's going to be a tough one for Green Bay. And then they're at home against Minnesota, and they'll close out at home against the Detroit Lions. So within that, there is a scheduling quirk that you necessarily will not find with any other team in the NFL. And I'll start to run through it, and I think you'll start to get the gist of where I'm going with this. So in Week 7, the Packers have to play Washington. They play on a Thursday night in Week 6. That gives the Commanders an extra three days of rest and preparation before they play Green Bay. The following week, Week 8, the Packers have to take on the Buffalo Bills, The Bills are coming off their bye. So that's an extra seven days of rest and preparation. We jump to week 10. The Packers play the Dallas Cowboys. There's another one of those storyline headlines as Mike McCarthy now will come back to Green Bay, bringing the Dallas Cowboys to town. The Cowboys, the week prior, have their bye. That's an extra, again, seven days rest and an extra seven days of preparation. Now we jump to week 16. The Packers will play the Dolphins after playing on Monday night the week prior. There's an extra day of rest there for the Dolphins. And then the following week, in week 17, the Packers take on the Vikings. The Vikings 
play the week prior to on a Saturday, which gives them an extra day of rest. So you get where I'm going with that. Not only in the middle of the schedule do we see the Packers have to have three consecutive road games out of their next five. So they go to London, and then they have to come home and play the Jets. Now that's going to have an implication because you've got a Sunday morning, at least our time, game against the Giants in London. Then you've got to fly home and get yourself ready to play the Jets the following week. And then after that, you have to go on the road and play Washington, Buffalo, and Detroit before returning home to play Dallas. And in each of those games, two of the teams are coming off of buys. Dallas and Buffalo. That's just a horrendous stretch as far as the Packers' schedule goes. So if they're able to maneuver that stretch, if they're able to stay relatively healthy into week 14, the team has the potential then to be a Super Bowl contender. I'm not so convinced they make that stretch as successful as they hope. And I think this schedule bodes uh, for a Packer team that could really go 9-8 and eight this year. And if they're going to make the playoffs, might have to do it as a wild card. I, I, I'm not sure where Minnesota is. Minnesota always looks decent on paper and then kind of falters. Detroit's an up-and-comer. Chicago's an up-and-comer. And I still have huge question marks about the receiving core. I like what we did in the draft defensively. I like our offensive line. Obviously, we've got a four-time MVP at quarterback. We should get Tunyon back at tight end. There are so many elements with this team that I'm positive about, especially with regards on offense, the running game. But what makes the Packers special is at the quarterback spot with Aaron Rodgers and his ability to scramble, his ability to read the defense, his ability to make plays when a play necessarily isn't what it was going to be when it was drawn up and called in by Mike LaFleur on the sideline. Sammy Watkins, we're hoping, will get back to who Sammy Watkins was, what he was in Kansas City, not who he was at Baltimore. Who's the other receiver? Now, there's still plenty of time. Obviously, we haven't even gotten into training camp. And once training camp rolls around, there are teams that are going to make cuts due to salary cap implications. Implications, I think, is what I'm trying to spit out. There are going to be veteran receivers available. There still needs to be one more to offset Sammy Watkins if this team, in my opinion, is going to be successful. You don't get rid of Devontae Adams and replace him with a rookie. You just don't. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have talked time and time again about how they could just look at one another and knew what the other was thinking and what route they wanted and where they wanted to be and and had that connection. That just doesn't get replaced overnight. And so in order to build that back up, you're going to need another standout quality receiver on the other side of Sammy Watkins if this team is going to make a run. Unfortunately, I don't have the optimism like a lot of people will going into this season 
based upon the receiving core that we currently have, and this is as of now, as well as that quirk in the schedule that the NFL has thrown at Green Bay and what they're going to have to maneuver if they're going to, A, get to the playoffs, and B, then make a deep run and hopefully get the opportunity to play for a Super Bowl. All of those, again, storylines, headlines, things that we'll be looking at as we get closer to training camp and the start of the season. But it's fun right now to kind of take a peek and see where at least we think our favorite team is going to be. Let's take a quick timeout on the other side of it. Let's get into some Brewer baseball who got a much-needed series win over the weekend, and we'll get to it in just a sec. So let's get into our beloved Milwaukee Brewers who got through their road trip where they traveled to Atlanta, Cincinnati, and Miami and got back to their winning ways with regards to a series by beating the Miami Marlins yesterday 7-3. to They went 4-5 and on this road trip at Atlanta going 1-2 and and then at Cincinnati going one and two, and probably the most surprising of it was the one at Cincinnati after having unbelievable success against the Reds at home. You hope that when they went to Cincinnati that the Brewers could have gotten a little, I like to call it healthy, with regards to their offense, defense, pitching, you name it, against the Cincinnati Reds. Not necessarily the case, even though Christian Yelich did hit for the cycle against Cincinnati in that 14-11 loss. They went 1-2 while there. So 4-5 and five on the road trip. Yesterday, a lot to really be excited about because there were a number of players that played well. Obviously, Rowdy Telez gets another home run. He's become a fan favorite. Colton Wong reaches the, ba- reaches the base, reaches base five times In the series against Miami, he had a big day yesterday, also with a home run. Brandon Woodruff pitched well. So there was a lot to be excited about, positive about, with regards to how the Brewers wrapped up that road trip. And now they come back home for a six-game homestand, which begins tonight on Monday against the Braves. And we talked about the Braves obviously being last year's World Series champs, kind of another one of those series that you benchmark to see where you're at as a team. Now, again, we've got a ton of baseball to play. It is only May. We haven't gotten to Memorial Day yet, the unofficial start of summer. But seeing how you match up, at least at this point, gives you a bit of an indication of where your team is at. And in Atlanta... The Brewers win the first game, what was a bullpen game for the Atlanta Braves, and you would think that the Brewers should win and did. The following day, it was a pitcher's duel losing 2-1, to and then on that Sunday, they just, the Atlanta Braves just showed their prowess and kind of manhandled our home team. Now we see what the Brewers can do with the Braves coming into their ballpark, as I said, a 640 opening pitch this evening and then you follow that up with a weekend series against the Washington Nationals 
who aren't necessarily playing great baseball at this time. And so if you can get two or three in both of those series, that's got to be a positive, welcoming feeling before you head back on the road in the midst of this season. The Brewers still in first place in the NL Central, sitting nine games over 500. So sitting nine games over 500, again, one of those elements that we look at to see how this team is doing. And as I said in an earlier podcast, what you want to be doing right now is making sure you're winning these games, especially with your stature in the NL Central, and start putting some teams away. Don't believe Cincinnati, and I don't believe Pittsburgh is going to make any sort of noise by the time we get to August. Both of them should be mathematically eliminated by the time we get to the mid part of August. The Cubs are a bit of an anomaly, but I don't think the Cubs have what they need right now in order to be prevalent with regards to the NL Central. Who does that leave? Once again, the St. Louis Cardinals. And as I've said before, the St. Louis Cardinals always figure things out towards the latter half of the season. So what you want to do now is make sure that you've got such a lead on the St. Louis Cardinals that when they do make that late August, September run, they have no way of making any sort of noise in trying to bump you out of winning the NL Central. And then we keep our fingers crossed once the postseason comes. So once again, Braves in town, three games set with them, followed by the Washington Nationals here this week at American Family Field. That'll do it for us on this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining us and listening. Hope you hit that like and subscribe button. And let's do better, huh? It was a rough weekend around this country with with various uh, heinous acts. Let, let's just make sure we try and do better. With that, have yourself a great week. I'm Don Wachillis. Take care, everybody. <laughs>